Jesus said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprout and grows, he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, with what, can we pair, with, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let's pray together. Well, Father, open our eyes that we might see all the marvelous things that are hidden in your word. We pray all of this through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Y'all like the movie Princess Bride? Have you ever had one of those Princess Bride moments? You know that moment when Inigo Montoya says to Vizzini, you keep using that word. You keep using that word, I do not think it means what you think it means. We have a word, or one thing that I notice is uh, when people use the word weary, when they're actually meaning to say leery or wary of something. So instead of you know, being suspicious, they sound like they're tired all the time. You won't be surprised to, to know that there are entire internet sites dedicated to misused words. So if you don't understand the difference between sympathy and empathy, come and tell me and I'll, I'll get you onto one of those sites and you'll learn why you should never, ever, ever say for all intensive purposes. There's a phrase that I think we sometimes misuse in the church, that we misunderstand in the church. That phrase is the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God. Now, it's surprising because it's a subject that Jesus speaks more about than almost any other single subject in the Gospels. More than half of the parables, uh, we're in this small teaching section of Mark right now where he just gives us a selection of parables. But when you look in the Gospel of Matthew and you look in the Gospel of Luke, you see a larger number of parables. And over half of the parables that Jesus tells concern the kingdom of God. Now, one thing that makes it challenging to understand the kingdom is that Jesus doesn't give us a dictionary definition. He doesn't give us a systematic theology of the kingdom of God, and that has led to confusion among many Christians down through history. Telling Danny that as I've been working on this sermon over the last couple of weeks, that the temptation has been to make it too big, to, to go too broad, to, to talk about all of the different places that the kingdom is mentioned, to try to, to grab hold of this comprehensive understanding of the kingdom. And I mean, I'm already three minutes in. I don't have time to do that. 
So we're going to look at these two parables and try to get some important information about the kingdom. And there's two things that I definitely want you to walk home with today. The first is that the kingdom has within itself a mysterious power. The kingdom has within itself a mysterious power. And the second is this, the kingdom will have inevitable success. The kingdom will have inevitable success. With those two descriptions, I think we get just a little bit closer to understanding how the kingdom impacts us as individuals and how we understand the calling we're having or we have as, as members of that kingdom in this world. So the first thing I want you to see comes from this very first parable, the kingdom's mysterious power. The kingdom has an inherent power within itself. And when I say that, I mean that the kingdom is not dependent on you. The kingdom has an inherent power in itself. Look at verse 26. We got another farmer scattering seed on the ground. But then verse 27, something interesting happens. He sleeps, he rises night and day. The seed sprouts and grows, and the farmer is completely ignorant. He knows not how the kingdom grows. A couple weeks ago, I gave you a quick lesson on how to interpret parables. Let's take another step here. How do we understand parables? Don't look for the obvious thing. Look for the twist. So if you put seed on the ground and it grows and then a harvest appears, everybody's just going to nod their head and say, that was really obvious, Jesus. But what's the twist? The twist is that this farmer doesn't know what's going on. He's completely ignorant. He knows not how it works. After he sows the seed, he, he goes to bed. I'm sure he woke up the next day and probably made breakfast. He maybe watched the news, ran to HEB, played a round of golf, had dinner with friends, went back to bed again, and all along the kingdom keeps growing. Now, is Jesus telling us in this parable that we have nothing to do? Is Jesus telling us that we have no part to play? Is this permission to you and I to sit on our hands, to be completely passive, to be theological about it? Is this a proof text for hyper-Calvinism? Well, God's going to save whoever he's going to save, so I don't have anything to do with it. No, that's not the case at all. It's simply a reminder that God's work sometimes doesn't make sense. In fact, it may even be contrary to the way you think it should be done. If I was God, I would do, well, man, don't ever start a sentence like that. More often than not, the kingdom comes in ways that totally confound us. Now, one implication of this is that the kingdom will not come by way of earthly power. I want you to remember that's part of what made Jesus' claim to kingship so foolish. You're a king? Where's your army, Jesus? Oh, I have legions of angels at my disposal. 
But that's not how the kingdom is going to come. Instead, his claim to his crown was established on a cross. It was because he died and rose again that he was established on his throne. But I worry that you and I are especially prone to the temptation to bring the kingdom into being by the force of our own will, by our good ideas. Our society is quickly changing. I think we can have a good argument over a decent bottle of wine as to whether or not we were ever a Christian country, but it is obvious that our country was at least shaped by Christian principles, by the scriptures, but that society is quickly changing. And I think in response, we are reacting in a lot of fear, a lot of anxiety. We're longing for an old Christendom which had its own problems. In fact, there's a lot of conversation these days about the search for a Christian prince. Really what we need is not democracy, not a republic. We need someone who can bend the will of society into the direction of the kingdom. Now, I am all for decent legislation. In fact, I think that better laws do actually benefit our unbelieving friends and neighbors. But folks, hear me. Good governance is not the kingdom of God. We're not the ones responsible to bring the kingdom into being. Hebrews 12.28 says that the kingdom is given to us as a gift. It's not something we create. But at the same time, we must not fall into the trap of thinking that the kingdom is simply something that happens in the privacy of my own heart. As citizens of the kingdom, we must demonstrate the realities of the kingdom to people around us. A friend, Wes Baker, who's a missionary down in Peru, wrote in a piece many years ago that in the early church, preaching was accompanied by actions that demonstrated mercy and forgiveness. And they also acted out in dramatic fashion the new creation that preaching was announcing. And the result was that the church showed the world the beauty of God's new creation. That's why we build hospitals. That's why we start schools. That's why we dig wells. But don't think just about the exotic things. Think also about the domestic ways that you can bear witness to the kingdom. Don't overlook the the small, unnoticed things that you're called to do, like loving your neighbor as yourself, even when that neighbor happens to share the same bed that you do, or lives under the same roof that you do, 
works in the next cubicle over. Don't overlook that easy thing that is so hard for us sometimes, forgiving others as we have been forgiven. Even Jesus says you, you bear witness to the kingdom when you carry the load of your enemy. How are we bearing witness to the kingdom of God? This mysterious thing, it has its own power. Is that power at work in you and me? When we embrace the calling, when we embrace the actions of citizens of the kingdom of God, we demonstrate that the kingdom has come. We demonstrate that the kingdom is at work among us. The kingdom has this mysterious inherent power. Secondly, the second parable we can see here is the inevitability of the kingdom's success. Look with me at verse 32. 31, sorry. It's like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Jesus is not making a scientific statement. He's making a practical statement. There are actually seeds that are smaller than the mustard seed. But what he's saying is a normal farmer, when he goes out and plants his field, or when he's working in his garden plot, when he holds the seeds in his hand, the smallest one that is normally going to be planted is that small mustard seed. In fact, there are like 70 to 80 mustard seeds in a gram I mean, these things are really small. As soon as they drop on the ground, you're never going to see them again. But as it grows, it can grow pretty tall. From that really tiny seed comes a tree that's about 9 to 10 feet tall. You look at that little thing, you think, there's no way. There's no way that there's anything in that that would ever get to that size. But despite the smallness of its beginning, the kingdom will be established. This is very similar to what we saw just a couple of weeks ago, right? Jesus is telling his disciples, look, it may not look like much. And in fact, in a few months when the crowds filter away and we're trooping up and down the dusty roads of Israel by ourselves, you might really start to think, is this really worth it? Is this really where the kingdom is? But don't despise the smallness of its beginnings. Because at the harvest, when it's fully grown, the kingdom is going to be big enough to hold the birds of the air. What is Jesus talking about here? I think if I was pressed to come up with a definition of the kingdom, I would use one from one of my teachers back in seminary, and he said that the kingdom is nothing less than the new creation. The kingdom is nothing less than the new creation. Now, already you and I see that new creation at work in us. That's regeneration. That's sanctification. This is the work of the Holy Spirit bringing new life from our hearts but we confess that soon that new creation will touch the entire created sphere. 
The fullness of the kingdom begins when you bow your knee to the king, but it won't be fully realized until the whole world has been reshaped by the king. And I think that's what Jesus is trying to point out here. From the smallest beginnings to this plant that kind of dominates your garden plot, that's the the reality of the new kingdom. I think even we get a sense of that from the birds here in verse 32. Remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about the birds in the parable of the sower, and there they were symbols of satanic opposition. Here I think Jesus is drawing on some imagery from the Old Testament books of Ezekiel and Daniel, where birds in those books are pictures of the kingdoms of this world. Now in those books, The kingdoms of the world are are trampled. They're overcome by the work of God. But here, the kingdoms, kingdoms of the world find rest and nourishment in the new creation. They're no longer at odds with the kingdom of God. They have become beneficiaries of the kingdom of God. We get even a picture of this in Revelation chapter 22, verse 2 where we hear that the leaves of the tree of life are for the healing of the nations. The new creation. That's what we're aiming for. That's what we're looking for. Don't settle for anything less. Now, what's the point of these parables? Why are they here included in Scripture that for 2,000 years the church has read this We've wrestled with this. We've pondered what Jesus is trying to get at here. What's the point? Friends, the normal state of the church in the world is a church under persecution, a church facing opposition, a church on the verge of defeat. Our brothers and sisters who have to meet secretly in China or in Iran, they're not the exception to the rule. We're the exception. We're the exception sitting here in Austin, worshiping freely, able to think broadly about the work of the church in our world. And down through the history of the church, certainly the question has crossed the minds of many believers, is this worth it? Can I actually do this? Is any of it true? If, if, it's, if I'm called to it, can I actually give my life to this little thing? This thing that seems so weak and so powerless when all the world is arrayed against me. These parables are meant to sustain believers during great periods of trial. See, the kingdom may not look, by, look like much, but from the smallness of of the seed in ways that we can't even comprehend, God's kingdom will be established. And so it has. The world's stage is littered with philosophies and despots who thought they could crush the work of God in their midst. And the kingdom is filled enemies of God that have been made his friends by grace. When we properly understand the kingdom, I think we are rescued 
rescued from nihilism on one side and idealism on the other. Nihilism. We are tempted probably to begin to think when, when struggle is, hits us, when we find disappointments in the life, disappointments in our Christian faith, disappointment in the church, we struggle perhaps to think, oh, Christianity, is there really anything to it? Is it just one more competing belief system trying to, to gain my attention? No. The kingdom is a power that will change your life. And it will change creation itself. Do you know that power this morning? To know it, you must live in subjection to it. Don't tell me that you have an orthodox belief in the deity of Jesus Christ. That you believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. That you can rattle off Westminster's definition of justification by faith alone. Don't tell me any of that if something else other than the kingdom rules and reigns in your heart. I know where my struggles are. Where are yours? What what clambers onto the throne? Miroslav Volf, the Croatian theologian I've mentioned before, says the temptation isn't to reject God outright. No, it's to embrace God as something secondary. To use God as an instrument for our own ends. The only way to avoid this is acknowledging God as king and building our lives around his purposes. Sounds a lot like what Jesus says. Seek first the kingdom of God. We're saved from nihilism. I think we're also saved from idealism. Because Jesus inaugurated the kingdom during his ministry on earth, we will see evidence of it among us. Men and women, boys and girls will be born again. A miracle of all miracles. From the dead, new life is raised. We pray for healing, believing that God can heal us. That it's not just left up to doctors and nurses. We believe that Jesus himself can minister to us. We believe in personal transformation. We think that people actually can be changed by the Holy Spirit. We work to see families and neighborhoods, businesses and cities feel the full effect of the kingdom's presence among them. But because the kingdom isn't yet present in its fullness, because that little seed hasn't yet grown up into the fullness of the tree, because the harvest hasn't yet really begun, there will be days that we lament. There will be days that we sit in confusion. There will be days when we call out, how much longer, O oh God? Individually, you and I, until the day that we die, will be sinners and saints. Together, our churches, they will be embassies of grace, outposts of the kingdom of God, and at the same time, profoundly disappointing. Totally frustrating to you and me. 
we will be disappointed. Reminded of our own sinfulness when we encounter sin in our brothers and sisters. But that disappointment pushes us forward to our own complete redemption. It causes us to look out for the renewal of all things when the kingdom comes in its fullness. This understanding saves us from nihilism and idealism. Friends, if you understand, if you begin to understand the kingdom of God, you can work and wait in patience and in hope. You won't be surprised by remaining sin in your own life or in the church. You won't be undone when plans fail, when we struggle as God's people together. No, we will look in faith to the harvest. We will lift our eyes to the day when the kingdom extends its reach and its blessings to touch every part of this world. To the day when all the world worships our King. Let's pray. Well, Father, may your kingdom come. May your will be done first in our own hearts, first here in this church, so that together we can look with great confidence at our friends and family who do not yet bow the knee, and we can tell them it's different. This kingdom is different. This king is different. Hear him. Believe him. Love him and trust him. Oh, God, as much as it pains us sometimes to say it. Delay the coming of Christ until all have had an opportunity to hear this word. Work in the hardened hearts of children who have walked away from the faith. Of brothers and sisters who once professed belief, maybe even taught from pulpits like this, and now stiff-arm you. We don't understand how the kingdom comes. We don't understand how it works. But we trust you. And we love you. And we know that the judge of all the earth will certainly do right. Oh, but God, work. Work and use us as you see fit, to see your kingdom established. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.